summer of 2018, my family and I took a trip to Washington, D.C. Our oldest son, Luke, always wanted to go to Washington, D.C. and do the tour around there. My wife and I made a promise and said, we will do that sometime before you graduate. Well, we were just a little bit late because he graduated, and we took the trip like a month after he graduated from high school, had that all planned out to go to Washington, D.C., one of the sites that we went to was the Arlington National Cemetery. And in the Arlington National Cemetery is where you find the tomb of the unknown soldier. Who's been to the tomb of the unknown soldier? So several have been there and, and looked at that, that tomb. You've seen that. Let me show you a few pics. These are not our pics from that, but the pics that I'm showing right there, the, the big stone there is the actual tomb. And the other one is just a, a picture of of the crowd that comes. Thousands of people come every day to spend time at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It's quite, a, quite an interesting um, scene to go participate in and, and so just important. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier began as a remembrance of, of those who have given their life in war after World War I. And it ties into those who, who they couldn't be identified afterward. And so they created this tomb to the tomb of the unknown soldier. There's an epitaph that reads on that big stone block right there. It says, here rest in honor, glory, an American soldier known but to God. In other words, we don't know who the person is who gave their life for our country, but God knows. Now, it's a very interesting thing. You start looking at the tomb of the unknown soldier because it's guarded. And the procedure of guarding the tomb is very specific on how things happen and what's supposed to take place. The soldier walks 21 steps, rain, snow, or shine. There's always a guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier now. On the 21st step, he turns the way he's facing and faces the, the tomb and stands for 21 seconds. And then he turns and he moves his rifle from one shoulder to another shoulder, shoulder, depending on how he's walking. And they'll walk 21 steps. They'll turn, wait 21 seconds. They'll walk another 21 steps, turn, face the tomb, walk 21 seconds. The whole time doing this very um, accurately with a, with a very pristine way of how they're supposed to um, participate in this procedure. Since July 1, 1937, a very relatively small hand-picked soldier, group of soldiers have stood at this tomb protecting it and guarding it. It's a tough duty. It's not for everybody. Matter of fact, 80% of the soldiers who apply to participate in it do not get accepted. I don't know about you, but if I know there's an 80% failure rate, I may not be the one applying. I'd be like, I'm not sure. Eight out of ten not making it? Maybe that's for somebody else. So it's a very special group. Each soldier must have a very strong military bearing, discipline, stamina, present an outstanding um, outward appearance of a soldierly appearance. Each sentinel must be able to, to flawlessly perform seven different types of walks and honors and ceremonies. They must retain a vast amount of, of information and knowledge about the tomb, about Arlington National Cemetery, about the United States Army, about their unit, because when they're out there, they get asked questions by people who vi visit that area. They can have no military or civilian convictions of violating a law. So out of that, you know, that 80%, that's why it's so hard to get in. Uh, their, their score on the fitness test must be 250 or higher. They must be within five foot eleven and six foot four. So I'm eliminated because I'm six foot five. Some of you are eliminated because you're five ten or shorter. Their waist must be just thirty inches. <laughs> I guess a lot of us are gone now, right? I mean, how do you just fit just the physical side of it to be accepted? The tomb guards 
make personal sacrifices in honor of serving this special role. And they work like a team of firemen on a rotation. And the soldiers who serve well for nine months are rewarded with a special badge on their uniforms that acknowledges their service to the tomb of the unknown soldier. If they ever bring shame in that tomb or otherwise fail to fulfill their duties, they're stripped of that badge and the honor that goes with it. It's such a high calling to serve in that role. Now, although the comparison may be a stretch in some way, I believe we can find a few parallels between our lives as Christians and the lives of those who guard this tomb of the unknown soldier. You see, it's a great honor to serve our Savior and a great honor to live our lives for Him. However, our Lord Jesus has given us a code of conduct to follow. He has an expectation. He has a high expectation for us. And if we fail to live up to that expectation, we bring shame to His name. Uh, now, I want to let some of you off the hook this morning before I get too far and before we dive in deep because some of what I'm going to share today, you're going to like, wow, that's, that's pretty challenging to do. Some of you might be on a journey in this room where you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior yet. You've been on a journey investigating, thinking about Jesus, wondering, do I really want to go down this path and, and become a Christian, allow Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and you're still investigating. You're off the hook right now. Because what we're studying in this book of Colossians is a letter that's actually written to believers. And so this is a code of conduct that we're going to discuss today that ties to the Christian. It, it ties to the Christ follower. But if you're investigating Christianity, the good thing is you get to hear and say, oh, that's the calling they're supposed to be living up to? Because sometimes we see Christians, we go, what, what's different about them and what's different about me? And so the high calling is so important. And so you're in a great spot right now as you investigate to understand, if I put, give my life to Jesus, what is the expectation of me? In our text this morning, we're going to be challenged by the Apostle Paul and inspired by his word in Colossians. We're called to a sacred duty. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. As we continue in the journey in this study, listen and follow through with your Bibles as we receive instruction from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. Here's what he says in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, let me just right off front give you a quick, what I would say a very simple summary statement of this sermon and of this passage. If you get anything today, you grab onto this today. Paul is telling us you must live a life that is worthy of the Lord. You believe in Jesus Christ. He's your Savior. You believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You've surrendered your life to Him. Paul's telling us, you live your life in a way that is worthy of what the Lord has done for you. But Paul doesn't just give us a high calling. He gives us direction how to do this. He's like, listen, you need to be directed by the will of God. You need to be strengthened by His power. And you need to be motivated by His grace. Now let me just remind you of some of what has taken place with the Christians in the city of Colossae who needed guidance, and 
and they needed encouragement. Some of the stuff we've talked about. False teachers had been leading the congregation astray. They're creeping in and saying, not only do you believe in Jesus, we well, need to believe in this, you need to believe in that, and you need to follow this list of rules and this list of rules. And so there's all these kind of mixed teachings. And so the people in Colossians, the, the, the people of Colossae, who were Christ followers, were getting confused about what it meant to actually live as a Christian. Because they had all these different teachings going on. As he did with other letters, Paul directs his readers then back to the basics of faith. He starts out with the very basics of faith. He reviewed the undeserved love that we have from God. He reviews, listen, God gave us Jesus, and he dies on a cross for us. It's a simple approach to Christmas to the Christian life. And he's like, listen, remember this. Don't forget this. And if you go through Paul's letters, over and over and over and over again, Paul starts saying, listen, don't forget about Jesus. Don't forget about the cross. Don't forget about the death. Don't forget about the burial. Don't forget about the resurrection. That's when you're saved, when you put your faith into that. And don't believe all this other stuff that we're being bombarded with. And so Paul starts off with that simple approach, outlining the Christian life. He tells us God's Word still gives us direction in our lives, and it's worthy of the Lord to live by God's Word. God's Word also gives us strength to live in this life, and God's Word gives us motivation to do, us by, to do that by reminding us of the undeserved love and the grace and the forgiveness that we have. You know, it's interesting. The guards at the tomb have some very detailed instructions of what they're to do. Every step they take, every moment they, they, they make, everyone is covered by a regulation. And in verse 9, the Apostle Paul tells us where we find the plan and the pattern for the Christian life. Look at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with what? With knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. So interesting. We're going to cover a whole other sermon in a couple of weeks about prayer in the book of Colossians. But so many times, what do we do? We say, I'm going to pray for you. Why? Because you're sick. Because you're dealing with this. You're dealing with financial situation. I'm praying for your work situation. When's the last time that we have prayed that people will be filled with the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding of the Spirit? I mean, that's a whole other sermon we're going to do. But Paul's like, listen, I am praying that you would understand God's will, that you would live by God's will. Because living a life worthy of the Lord means that we are directed by God's will. Say, well, what is God's will? Oh, it's simply... What does God want us to do? What is God's plan? What is God's purpose? That's God's will. And are we willing to follow it and are we willing to do it? But some have said that knowing God's will is impossible. How can I know God's will? How do I know what he wants from me? How does he know what he wants, how he wants me to live? Listen, it's not really all that hard. We make it quite challenging. I believe there's actually a lie from the evil one who raises that question in our mind, like, how can I know God's will? Well, you start reading Scripture, and God's code of conduct, God's will is very clear. God commands us that we love Him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, that's God's will. It's really not hard. That's in Scripture. God commands that of us. He requires that we love him above all things. God's person, God's name, God's word, they're all to be kept holy in every moment of life. How do you know that? Well, it's defined in Scripture. Our loyalty to God is to be unwavering. The use of His holy name is to be honorable. And our love of His word is to be unchallenged. How do you know that? Well, we read God's word. In all of our interaction with others, we are to be show selfless love. In other words, put others before self. God expects that we'll honor those in authority in our home, in the church, and in the government. That's a challenging one. 
especially in today's culture. We are, always, we are to always defend the treasure gift of life. And we're supposed to protect the gift of life. And all of our thoughts, our words and actions are to abide by His commands concerning marriage. So what is God's will for marriage? What is God's plan for marriage? Well, it's defined in Scripture. God expects us to only speak truth to love in others. He also commands us to be content with the material things and blessings that He has given us. It's really not hard. You can read through Scripture and you go, oh, there's God's plan, there's God's conduct, there's God's will. The question is, are we willing to be obedient to it? Are we willing to walk worthy of the Lord by knowing His Word? God's will, it's not unclear. It's really not unclear. To live our lives worthy as a child of God, we're to be holy as He is holy. There is a tradition among the guards of the tomb of the unknown soldier. Whenever they salute a commissioned officer, they say in a loud voice, Line six, sir! And if you're nearby, you'll hear that. Line six, sir! And obviously, if you're walking by, you're probably like, what does that mean? I mean, we're used to saying, hello, how you doing, what's up, you know, or maybe something more formal, but line six. In 99 words, they have a creed that captures what it means to be a guard at the tomb. Here's what it says. My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted. And the responsibility bestowed on me never will I falter. And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Through the years of diligence and praise and the discomfort of the elements, I will walk in my tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability. It is he who commands the respect I protect, his bravery that made us so proud, surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day, alone in the thoughtful peace of night. His soldier will in honored glory rest under my eternal vigilance. That's a commitment they make to guard the tomb. Line 6 of the Creed reads, my standard will remain perfection. That's how they say I'm going to guard the tomb. Perfect. Perfection. You realize that's our standard before a living God? We're called to perfection. That's, that's what's laid out in the Bible, to live our life worthy of Him, to be guided and live by His will. It's a standard perfection. Now, historians tell us that prior to the establishment of around-the-clock guards, at the tomb of the unknown soldier, that tourists used the original monument as a picnic table over as they sat and enjoyed lunch at Arlington National Cemetery. It's centrally located. It gives a great view of the park. But obviously those who were doing it were showing a lack of respect to the unknown soldier who died for the country. But since the guards of the tomb, the unknown soldier do their job faithfully and honor the tomb, since July of 1937, I guarantee you no one's had a picnic there any longer. Because they're there to protect the tomb. They're going to protect it to perfection. The, the memory of the soldiers buried there has to be honored. And they say, we're going to honor the memory of these soldiers, and so we'll protect it and we'll make sure everyone respects that. What are the results of our life when we say, you know what, we have a Savior that we serve, and we're going to honor Him, and we're going to honor Him with perfection. Look at verse 10 so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, if we serve God with an honorable behavior and we please Him, then the Scripture tells us what happens is we bear fruit. We bear fruit of God. 
God's honor and His name are kept holy among us. And, and of course, then those who see our lives, then what happens? They're led to honor God. But what happens in our society today is we say, well, I'm a believer, or I'm a Christian, but that doesn't change our lives. And so people say, well, I'm not a believer, I'm not a Christian, but we look the same, so what do I want your God for? Paul's like, you need to walk in a way that is worthy because what happens, then you bear fruit and people see your life and they go, there's something different in you. The way you're handling this situation, the way you speak, the way you interact, the way you treat people, the way you handle money, the way you do business dealing, there's something different. Why are you different? And you get a chance to share your faith. Here's the big question. Do we deserve to be counted among the soldiers in God's army? Do we deserve it? No, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We, we have not kept the code perfectly. Have you kept the code perfectly? No, none of us have. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Through our sins, we've actually brought shame on our heavenly commander. Too often, though, our conduct has been unbecoming as a Christian. We've let ourselves become distracted from our first priority in life, and we've left the post that God has assigned to us. I guarantee if the guards at the tomb of the unknown soldier quit guarding it and they were to walk away, it would not be long before that tomb would be defaced or destroyed or it would be hurt in some way because people would not respect it and honor it. Think of how our sins have stained the holy uniform that God has given us. Our minds have entertained thoughts that God cannot stomach. Like traitors to God's cause, we have walked down paths that the children of God have no business walking down. Time and time again, I think we've been AWOL from our service of God. That's why we need a Savior. Why, if we have failed, why, if we have not walked worthy, why, if, if we have not done our job, why have we not been court-martialed and separated from God forever? It's because we have an awesome Savior. It's because we have a God who cares. He went to a great rescue mission to save us. Jesus obeyed his Father's code of conduct perfectly. Can you say amen to that? Jesus obeyed the, con the code of conduct perfectly, and that's why he could be our substitution, our death on the cross for us. It's a gift to us that keeps us in right standing before God. Why will I be able to stand? Why will you be able to stand one day before God and say, yeah, I'm perfect? There's only one reason why. It's because I put myself underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. Because I accepted the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not because of our abilities that we are given the honor of living a life that is worthy of the Lord. Verses 11 and 12 point us to the source of power to live this life. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His people and the kingdom of light. See, to answer the call to live a life worthy of the Lord we return again and again and again and again back to the strength of, of Jesus. Paul's like, church, don't take your eyes off the prize. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. You've got to walk worthy. Legendary quarterback Brett Favre did something quite amazing one Monday night football game. It was the day after his father died. Most of us would think, take the week off, take the game off. You don't need to 
go to that. He decides to play in the Monday night football game the day after his dad had passed away. And Favre's athletic performance was outstanding. It was unbelievable. The number of touchdowns he, he threw, the, the passes that he's completed, the, the yards that he threw, his team wins the game. It's an amazing feat to think your dad died less than 24 hours ago and you stepped on a football field. Dr. Stephen Taylor, a clinical psychologist, wrote about what he saw. And here's what he said. He said, beside the human interest story of Favre is the understanding of the skill sets of an elite athlete. One skill set we know he has is the ability to focus and play through pain, an ability to block all things out and have the focus of a laser beam. That level of focus is contagious. Taylor went on to said of the rousing play of Favre's teammates, he said it's kind of known as the Michael Jordan effect. And if you're a sports fan, you've heard of that. When Michael Jordan was in his prime, there was a term that came out said the Michael Jordan effect. And the whole idea was because you are so good, you just lift up everybody else. Brett Favre was so good, all the teammates around just lifted him up. Well, in another setting, a non-sports setting where life and eternity are at stake, we might call it the Jesus effect. How do we get lifted up? How are we strong? He raises our service a level to God. He inspires us to live a life that is worthy of God. He strengthens us for the task, for the power, by through His Word. And when we know Jesus and we walk in Jesus, then we're lifted up to walk a holy life. It's the Jesus effect. On average, the servicemen who guard the tomb of the unknown soldier spend about eight hours a day preparing for their duty. Can you imagine? Just to go to work, just to spend their time 21 steps, stop, 21 seconds, turn, move my rifle, 21, sec 21 steps, stop, turn, 21 seconds, watching to make sure no one approaches the tomb or tries to affect the tomb. Spends eight hours preparing. What are they preparing? Preparing their mind, remembering the code, remembering all their steps, making sure their uniform is meticulously pressed and ready to go, so they looked, what, perfect as they did their job. What preparation do you and I put in to our service of God? What's our preparation like? We need the power of God's Word to give us strength for the duty that we're required to perform. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul described the effort that we are to put in as we prepare to God's service, and he's, he uses this in a military term. Ephesians 6 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Logical question that someone might ask the soldiers who guard the tomb is, why do you do it? Why do you go through the rigorous training? Why, do you do, why would you want to stand out in the rain and the snow and the, and the heat? Why? Why go through all that? The work of the guards is so tedious and it's so demanding. Snowstorms, rainstorms, heat, cold winter, the guards faithfully do their job. What motivates these soldiers to do that task? I, I imagine that for some it's the challenge of doing something that so few can do. Like, that's such a high calling, I'm just going to accomplish it. I imagine that's for some. For others, it may be the honor and the pride and the tradition that go along with being a, a guard at such a sacred memorial. I'm sure for some, 
and I'm, I imagine this is probably overall, is that each soldier has a deep love for their country, and they're so appreciative of those who have died in service in the past. And they're like, I'm going to do that because I feel like I'm called to do that. Let me ask you, what is it that motivates you to serve our Lord and Savior? What is the motivation? Why face the challenges of being a follower of Jesus? I mean, why choose the narrow, difficult path of obedience over the wide path of sin? Well, let's be honest. It'd be a whole lot easier to go out here and live this life just however I want to live it. Go do whatever I want to do, go where I want to go, spend money where I want to spend it, um, interact with who I want to interact. Just go live it up. It's a whole lot easier to do that than choose to live a disciplined life that is a life that honors Jesus. Why do we do that? Paul points our minds in verses 13 and 14. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. See, what happens is when we realize that it was God's undeserved love that brought us out of Satan's prison war camp into Christ's royal army, then we're filled with the desire to live a life that is worthy. Is that how you live in today? We, we want to honor Him because we understand what He has given and what He has done for us. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, I didn't understand that at 11 years old when I gave my life to Christ. I understand Jesus died on a cross for me and I was supposed to follow Him. And that's what I jumped into. But as you grow and as you mature and you understand His love and the depth of His love and as you read God's Word and as you grow more and more and more, then more and more and more you should say, I want my life to honor Him. For 83 years, the soldiers have stood guard at the tomb. 83 years. They're meticulous in what they do. They prepare for their duty. They spend hours, their public and private lives, reflect and honor the, the, the gift that they've been giving. Line 6 from the code. My standard will be perfection. So dedicated are these soldiers that when Hurricane Isabel came in 2003 and they were invited and given permission to leave their post, they refused. They said, absolutely not. Hurricane or not, we're here. Let's be honest. Very honorable thing to do. Very honorable thing. But not an eternity-changing thing. Very honorable to guard the tomb. Very honorable to respect the soldier. Very honorable to say, I'm going to stand this post. But it has nothing to do with eternity. And Jesus dies on a cross for us. And when we fully grasp that and go, wait a minute, he loved me that much, and I grow and I get to know him, we should say, I want nothing else in my life to honor him, and I'm going to walk a life that is worthy. See, followers of Christ, we must take our duty as a Christ follower just as, just as seriously, if not more seriously, than those who are guarding a tomb. As followers of Jesus, our standard needs to be perfection and the perfection that comes because I'm in Jesus Christ, and our dedication to Christ must be a total dedication. Not one foot in the water. Not just kind of playing around with it. No, 100%. May we always live our life worthy. God's Word is clear. God's Word is clear, and He expects our thoughts and our words and our actions to be words and actions and thoughts that honor Him. May we take the sacred honor of that duty. May we own it, and may we live that life of perfection. Be directed by God's will. Be strengthened by His power. Be motivated by His grace, by His forgiveness, understanding what He did on the cross. When we do that, 
That's when this world starts to change. That's when people start to see Jesus, when they see Christians who are living their life, walking in a life that, wor that is worthy and honors the Lord. Bow your head.